Chapter One of Traylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Traylon by Max Brand. Chapter One. Ladies and gentlemen, all through the exhibition the two sat unmoved, yet on the whole it was the best Wild West show that ever stirred sawdust in Madison Square Garden, and it brought thunders of applause from the crowded house. Even if the performances could not stir these two, at least the throng of spectators should have drawn them, for all New York was there, from the richest to the poorest. Neither the combined audiences of a seven-day race, a prize fight, or a community singing festival would make such a cosmopolitan assembly. All Manhattan came to look at the men who lived and fought and conquered under the limitless skies of the Far West. Free men, wild men. One of their shrill whoops banished distance and brought the mountain desert into the heart of the unromantic East. Nevertheless, from all these thrills, these two men remained immune. To be sure, the smaller tilted his head back when the horses first swept in, and the larger leaned to watch when Diaz, the wizard with the lariat, commenced to whirl his rope. But in both cases, their interest held no longer than if they had been old vaudevillians watching a series of familiar acts dressed up with new names. The smaller. Brown as if a thousand fierce suns and winds had tanned and withered him, looked up at last to his burly companion with a faint smile. They're bringing in the cream now, Drew, but I'm going to spoil the dessert. The other was a great gray man whom age apparently had not weakened, but rather settled and hardened into an iron-like durability. The winds of time or misfortune would have to break that staunch oak before it would bend. He said, "We've half an hour before the train leaves. Can you play your hand in that time? Easy. Look at 'em now—the greatest gang of liars that never threw a diamond hitch. Ride? I've got a ten-year-old kid at home that would laugh at 'em all. But I'll show 'em up. Want to know my little stunt? I'll wait and enjoy the surprise." The wild riders who provoked the scorn of the smaller man were now gathering in the central space. A formidable crew, long of hair and brilliant as to bandanas, while the announcer thundered through his megaphone, "Ladies and gentlemen, you see before you the greatest band of subduers and breakers of wild horses that ever rode the cattle ranges, death-defying, reckless, and laughing at peril. They have never failed. They have never pulled leather. I present Happy Morgan." Happy Morgan, yelling like one possessed of ten shrill-tongued demons, burst on the gallop away from the others, and spurring his horse cruelly, forced the animal to race, bucking and plunging halfway around the arena and back to the group. This then was a type of daredevil horsebreaker of the Wild West. The cheers traveled in waves around and around the house and rocked back and forth like water pitched from side to side in a monstrous bowl. When the noise abated somewhat, 
And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the peerless cowpuncher Bud Reeves. Bud at once imitated the example of Happy Morgan, and one after another the five remaining riders followed suit. In the meantime, a number of prancing, kicking, savage-eyed horses were brought into the arena, and to these the master of ceremonies now turned his attention. From the wildest regions of the range we have brought mustangs that never have borne the weight of man. They fight for pleasure. They buck by instinct. If you doubt it, step down and try em. One hundred dollars to the man who sticks on the back of one of em. But we won't pay you the hospital bills. He lowered his megaphone to enjoy the laughter, and the small man took this opportunity to say, Never borne the weight of man. That chap in the dress suit, he tells one lie for pleasure and ten more from instinct. Yep, he has his hosses beat. Never borne the weight of man. Why, Drew, I can see the saddle marks clear from here. I got a mind to slip down there and pick up the easiest hundred bones that ever rolled my way. He rose to make good his threat, but Drew cut in with, Don't be a damn fool, Werther. You aren't part of this show. Well, I soon will be. Watch me. There goes Ananias on his second wind. The announcer was bellowing. These man-killing mustangs will be ridden, broken, beaten into submission in fair fight by the greatest set of horse-breakers that ever wore spurs. They can ride anything that walks on four feet and wears a skin. They can... Werther sprang to his feet, made a funnel of his hands, and shouted, Yip! If he had set off a great quantity of red fire, he could not more effectively have drawn all eyes upon him. The weird, shrill yell cut the ringmaster short, and a pleased murmur ran through the crowd. Of course, this must be part of the show, but it was a pleasing variation. Partner, continued Werther, brushing away the big hand of Drew, which would have pulled him down into his seat, I've seen you blush for two nights hand running. There ain't no man can bluff all the world three times straight. The ringmaster retorted in his great voice. That sounds like good poker. What's your game? Five hundred dollars on one card, cried Werther, and waved a fluttering handful of greenbacks. Five hundred dollars to any man of your lot, or to any man in the house that can ride a real wild horse. Where's your horse? Around the corner in a twenty-sixth street stable. I'll have him here in five minutes. Lead him on, cried the ringmaster, but his voice was not quite so loud. Werther muttered to Drew. Here's where I hand him the lemon that'll curdle his cream. And ran out of the box, and straight around the edge of the arena, New York murmuring and chuckling through the vast galleries of the garden, applauded the little man's flying coat-tails. He had not underestimated the time. In a little less than five minutes, the doors at the end of the arena were thrown wide, and Werther reappeared. Behind him came two stalwarts, leading between them a rangy monster. Before the blast of lights and the murmurs of the throng, the big stallion reared and flung himself back, and the two who led him bore down with all their weight on the halter ropes. He literally walked down the planks into the arena, a strange, half-comical, half-terrible spectacle. New York burst into applause. 
It was a trained horse, of course, but a horse capable of such training was worth applause. At the roar of sound, vague as the beat of waves along the shore, the stallion lurched down on all fours and leapt ahead, but the two on the halter ropes drove all their weight backward and checked the first plunge. A bright-colored scarf waved from a nearby box, and the monster swerved away. So, twisting, plunging, rearing, he was worked down the arena. As he came opposite a box in which sat a tall young man in evening clothes, the latter rose and shouted, Bravo! The fury of the stallion, searching on all sides for a vent, but distracted from one torment to another, centered suddenly on this slender figure. He swerved and rushed for the barrier with ears flat back and bloodshot eyes. Then he reared and struck at the wood with his great front hooves. The boards splintered and shivered under the blows. As for the youth in the box, he remained quietly erect before this brute rage. A fleck of red foam fell on the white front of his shirt. He drew his handkerchief and wiped it calmly away, but a red stain remained. At the same time, the two who led the stallion pulled him back from the barrier, and he stood with head high, searching for a more convenient victim. Deep silence spread over the arena. More hushed, and more hushed it grew, as if invisible blankets of soundlessness were dropping down over the stirring masses. Men glanced at each other with a vague surmise, knowing that this was no part of the performance. The whole audience drew forward to the edge of the seats and stared, first at the monstrous horse, and next at the group of men who could ride anything that walks on four feet and wears a skin. Some of the women were already turning away their heads, for this was to be a battle, not a game. But the vast majority of New York merely watched and waited and smiled a slow, stiff-lipped smile. All the surroundings were changed. The flaring electric lights, the vast roof, the clothes of the multitude, but the throng of white faces was the same as that pale host which looked down from the sides of the Colosseum when the lions were loosed upon their victims. As for the wild riders from the cattle ranges, they drew into a close group with the ringmaster between them and the gaunt stallion, almost as if the fearless ones were seeking for protection. But the announcer himself lost his almost invincible sang-foir. In all his matchless vocabulary there was no sounding phrases ready for this occasion and little Werther strutted in the center of the great arena, rising to his opportunity. He imitated the ringmaster's phraseology. Ladies and gentlemen, the price has gone up. The death-defying, daredevils that laugh at danger ain't none too ready to ride my hoss. Maybe the price is too low for em. It's raised. One thousand dollars, cash, for any man in hearin' of me that'll ride my pet. There was a stir among the cattlemen, but none of them moved forward toward the great horse, and as if he sensed his victory, he raised and shook his ugly head and neighed. A mighty laugh answered that challenge. This was a sort of horse humor that great New York could not overlook, and in that mirth even the big gray man drew joined. 
the laughter stopped with an amazing suddenness, making the following silence impressive as when a storm that has roared and howled about a house falls mute. Then all the dwellers in the house look to one another and wait for the voice of the thunder. So all of New York, that sat in the long galleries of the garden, hushed its laughter and looked asconce at one another and waited. The big gray man rose and cursed softly. For the slender young fellow in the evening dress, at whom the stallion had rushed a moment before, was stripping off his coat, his vest, and rolling up the stiff cuffs of his sleeves. Then he dropped a hand to the edge of the box, vaulted lightly into the arena, and walked straight toward the horse. End of chapter 1